0: Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. This morning, we close out our sermon series on Ruth with a lesson from Ruth chapter 4. We're going to read the remaining verses of the chapter, picking it up at verse 8. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are. Are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David." And now you know the rest of the story. That's how the famous radio program, aptly titled The Rest of the Story, always ended. The radio program that was hosted by the famous, famous broadcaster, Paul Harvey, would always tell the story of, of some famous person's life. And yet, Paul Harvey would do so leaving out one very important, one very key detail, the name of the person whose life he was telling a story about. He would leave this detail, the name out, all the way up to the very last sentence, sometimes even the very last word, and then the radio broadcast would close with that famous tagline. And now you know the rest of the story. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing in the book of Ruth. Who is this story all about? Is it about the heroine whose name is on the cover of the story? Is it about Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi? Is it about Boaz? If it's about Ruth, she's hardly mentioned at the end. If it's about Naomi, the one who was there at the very beginning of the story... Well, we don't see very much resolution in Naomi because what follows Naomi's resolution is a list of names, a list of names that includes Boaz, Boaz's family line, his genealogy. Is it about Boaz? I mean, after all, he's there. He's in the prized and privileged seventh position in the genealogy that's listed. No, it's not even about Boaz. There in the tenth and even more privileged and final position, we see the one who this story is all about. From the very beginning, this story has been about David. This is about Israel's greatest king. This is about his origin story, his family, the people whom he came from. This is the stuff of kings. This is the stuff of Israel's greatest king, King David. And therefore, Therefore, this story is the stuff of David's greater king, your savior, the king of kings and Lord of lords. This is the story of Jesus Christ, your redeemer. And now you know the rest of the story. It's a great way to tell the story and it's a great way to end the story tells us something most certainly about our Savior, our Redeemer, but it also teaches us one very important thing about our God, about who he is and about how he works. Our God hides. Our God hides his gloriousness and his greatness. He hides it from our eyes. Just look at the story of Ruth. Did you see God there? Did you see God appear before his people in a cloud of smoke or a cloud of fire? No, you saw no such thing in this story. Did he appear in a vision or a dream to Ruth or Boaz? He did not. Did he appear in in voice or in vision to one of his prophets and send one of his prophets to Ruth or Boaz or Naomi? He most certainly did not. God hides, and yet he's very much there in this story. He's very much there in this story, even when you see pain, even when you see suffering. Just think about it. You see it over and over again. The story begins with Elimelech, Naomi, their family coming to complete loss during the time of a famine, moving off to a foreign land. And what happens there? Elimelech, the father, loses his life. So do his sons, Malon and Kilion, but not before Malon marries a young Moabite woman named Ruth. Now tell me, tell me this, who do you think worked out that detail? And again, it happens that Naomi is set to return home. Yes, empty-handed, but she's going back to Bethlehem. And what does she do before she leaves? She tries to push those whom God has placed in her life out of her life. She tells her daughters-in-law to leave. Yet you know, one of them doesn't, one of them stays. And what we hear is one of the most beautiful, speaks uh, or sayings of friendship, one of the most beautiful sayings of companionship in all of scripture and all of literature. Where you go, I will go. Where you will be, I will be. My people will be your people. My God will be your God. Even where you die, that's where I will die. Now you tell me this, who is it in the midst of Naomi's darkness, who is it do you think that moved and motivated Ruth to not only stay by her side, but also speak such po- profound and poetic words. They get back home. Ruth and Naomi are in Bethlehem. They're impoverished, not to mention jobless. So Ruth does the only thing she can. She does the modern equivalent of picking up cans. She gleans. She walks in a, in a foreigner's field, herself a foreigner, picking up the scraps that get left over. And whose field is she in? Her near redeemer, her kinsman redeemer. Now you tell me, who is it that worked that out so it just so happened that Ruth was working in Boaz's field? And we wish, we wish they could get married. We watch our hearts grow fond of Ruth and and Boaz and we hope that they can get married together and yet we see they can't. There's some legal details involved here that Boaz is a near redeemer, but he's not the closest relative redeemer. There's someone who's closer. There's someone who is legally allowed and obligated to buy Naomi's property, to redeem Ruth, to marry her. There's no way by law Boaz should have been able to marry Ruth. And yet the near redeemer, Mr. So-and-so, he doesn't redeem her. And so you tell me who worked out all of those legal details so Boaz could get married to Ruth. There is this truth here in this story that God wants us to see. What he does in the book of Ruth is he, he steps back and God pulls open the curtain and allows us to just for a moment to see how he works in real life, to see how God works in the lives of the people he loves, how God is faithful to those who know his faithfulness. Oh, and it's not just the book of Ruth that says this. (laughs) It's not just this story. All of scripture testifies to this. First Timothy chapter six tells us that God alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen nor can see. That's our God. No one has seen him, no one can see him. The Lord himself declares in Isaiah 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's the truth. Since the fall, the fall into sin, our fallen flesh can't see God. We can't perceive his ways. We can't understand him. And so our God hides. He hides his gloriousness. He hides his greatness. If he showed it to us, it would be too much. It would overwhelm us. And so our God hides. You have a hidden God. And yet make no mistake about it, God is not cold and distant. God is not far off. He is present. Even though He hides His gloriousness and His greatness, His divine majesty from us, He is ever present in our lives, doing what? Working out all things for the good of those whom He loves, whom He has called according to His purpose. That's your God. A God who hides His divine majesty and glory from our eyes, and yet who is present in our lives. The proof is in Ruth, and it's true for your life too. Yet do you live with that truth? Do you live with that beautiful truth impressed upon you ever before your eyes? Just think for a moment about how life works out. Maybe not to the degree of Naomi, but in your own right, You've suffered loss, the loss of a loved one, the loss of an opportunity that you really had your heart set on, the loss of health, the loss of time that you will never get back. And how do you act? Do you act as though that there is a God in your life, even though you can't see him, who is there comforting you, restoring you because he loves you? Or do you hide yourself in frustration? Do you hide yourself in resentment that life took a turn that you didn't really want to go that way according to your plans? You have a friend family member even, maybe a neighbor who does something or says something that's wrong. We can't, we can't condone it. It is wrong. You have been the recipient of abuse. You have been the recipient of wrongdoing. Now tell me this. How do you act? Do you respond as though there is a God in your life who loves you? I love you, and so does God, but you have to go sit in your seat. <laughs> do you respond as though that there's a God in your life who looks upon the hurt that you receive and who helps you, empowers you by his spirit to help you to forgive others just as you have been forgiven? Or do you hide yourself in anger? Maybe you just call it annoyance. Do you hide yourself in hate? You see how this works out, don't you? God has given you people in your life, a faith family, those who love you, those who share the same faith as you, those who He has given you to encourage you in the faith. He has given you a pastor who wants nothing more than to make sure that all is well with your soul and that your soul ends up eternally in heaven. But how do you act? Do you act as though there is a God who hides himself from your eyes? And yet, even though he does that, he's present in your life. He's giving you people in your life to minister to you. Or when things go badly, do you push those people out of your life? Do you throw yourself increasingly more and more pity parties and experience loneliness and mistake that for God who hides himself in your life and yet, is present. Things don't go the way you wanted them to at work, at school, or how about this, life throws you a plot twist and gives you a year like 2020. Now tell me this, how do you respond? Do you act as though there is a God in your life, even though he's hidden before your eyes? Or do you proceed with your busyness, hecticness, just craziness in life, frustration that life is going this way? And do you hide yourself behind all of that anxiety, all of that stress, all of that busyness? Do you hide yourself behind scrolling through your newsfeed, looking for a hot take that will help you understand what's going on in your life? Let's be honest with ourselves. Most of us spend most of our life hiding we hide behind worry, we hide behind stress, we hide behind blame, we hide behind pain. Why? All because we've forgotten that there is a God in our lives even though we can't see him with our eyes. And we, we do, we, we say we walk by faith and yet how much more do we say we need to walk by sight? I need to see it, I need to understand it, I need it to be real to me. And so we miss out on this truth that God is here. He has not left you. God is here, but we forget that, and so we hide. We hide behind our way of making sense of the world. We hide behind our panic. We hide behind our stress, our worry, our blame, our anger, our frustration, and so many other things. And yet God is here. He's here in your life, and the book of Ruth is proof. The book of Ruth is proof of this. We might ask ourselves, where is God? Where is God, especially in moments of pain? Where is God, especially in moments where it is frustrating, where there is suffering? And yet, look, (laughs) I cannot say this any more emphatically, that as, as opposite as this seems, This is where God reveals himself. You have a God who reveals himself to you in suffering and pain. And he did it. He did it most notably in the cross of Jesus. He did it most notably because he's in the business of revealing himself through babies born in Bethlehem. You want to know where God is in Ruth? Look at Ruth chapter 4. There in Ruth chapter 4, for the first time, we see God step in, God step in, and scripture tells us this is how he acts. What happens? The Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. Ruth, who could not have a child by Malon. Ruth, who by all accounts was barren. Ruth, who should have never gotten married again. What did the Lord do? (laughs) The most improbable birth. The Lord enabled her to conceive. You wanna know who the most compelling type of Christ, the most compelling Christ-like figure is in all of the book of Ruth? It's not Ruth. It's not Boaz. It's the baby boy born in Bethlehem Ephrathah, the firstborn son of Ruth, It is the baby who would be an ancestor of another baby born in Bethlehem, one through whom new life would come to his entire family. Did you hear what the choir of women sang to Naomi on the birthday of her grandson? They said, praise to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Do you notice what they said? They said a song about what the Lord did not do. And that's sometimes the most beautiful truth that our hearts need to hear. They sang a song about what the Lord did not do, what the Lord will not do, and what the Lord cannot do. The Lord will not leave you. The Lord will not leave you without a Redeemer. God is here. That's what the choir sang. I don't even know why I'm preaching today, because the choir sang everything to you that could ever be said about your Redeemer. You know what the name Obed means? It's a messianic title. It's a messianic title that means servant. And in the book of Ruth, what you see is a chorus, a chorus sing to you a message of gospel, a message coming of a greater Obed, an Obed who is truer and even more faithful. Than Ruth was to Naomi, an Obed who is even more loving, patient, strong, and compassionate than Boaz was to Ruth, a greater. Obed, a greater Obed who would come and fulfill not just Naomi, but would fulfill his entire family. An Obed who would rise up, not just from the shoot of Jesse, but would rise up from the grave and allow you and me and all of God's people to sing, I know that my Redeemer lives. This is the song that they sang. When they sang, the choir of women sang to Naomi, And said to her, Praise be to the Lord, whom this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. They were pointing Naomi to Christ. They are pointing you and me to Christ. They are pointing you and me to a song that your Savior would sing millennium later, in which He said, I will not leave you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's the truth. That's a truth that breaks your fears. That's a truth that shuts down your anxieties. The Lord is here. The Lord has not left you without a redeemer. The Lord has not left you, nor will he leave you in this life. Why? Because look at what they sang to Naomi. It's what I'm singing to you. That he will renew your life. He will renew your inner life. You might ask yourself, where is God? On given days, given seasons in your life, you might wonder where in the midst of my pain, where in the midst of my suffering is God? Let me say this in the most emphatic and the most clear terms possible. You have a hidden God, a God who hides his divine gloriousness and greatness. And yet you have a God, hidden though he may be, who has chosen to reveal himself to you, He reveals himself to you through suffering and pain. Most clearly, most notably, most importantly, this is seen in the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's in this place, this place where we see nothing but death, nothing but pain, nothing but loneliness. It's in this place where we get grace, where we receive grace. Instead of sadness, we receive joy. Instead of emptiness, we receive Christ's righteousness. Instead of death, you and I receive life. He renews your life. He renews your life. He frees you from a life that is hiding in fear. He He frees you from a life where you're hiding in worry and pain and struggle and frustration and feelings of overwhelmingness and like no one's in control. He redeems you from that. proclaims to you this truth. The Lord has not left you. He is here. God is here. The God who hides his divine glorious and majesty from your eyes, he is in your life. Always. You want to know how it is that I know that the chorus of women who sang to Naomi is singing to you as well? It's not just my interpretation of the book of Ruth. It's not just one man's thoughts here. The reason why I know the Holy Spirit was was inspiring the writer of Ruth to proclaim this gospel message to you is because the Holy Spirit hit copy and paste. The Holy Spirit hit copy and paste on the ending of the book of Ruth. What you see at the end of Ruth is a genealogical table. Might not seem like much, might not seem like a very climactic ending. It might just seem like, well, a list of names, because it is a list of names. And yet, I need you to see the ending, I need you to see the final word here all other genealogies that are listed in the Bible. They they tell you something of an origin. They tell you something of a beginning of a family. They they do something, uh, they list the names in order to point you to something else. Not here. This is not a pointer. This is a conclusion. This is not a starting line, this is a finish line. Because in this, every storyline finds its fulfillment. Every bit of pain finds its healing. Every bit of loss finds its recovery. Every bit of emptiness finds its whole. because it all comes to that end in the king, the king of kings, the king of kings who is David's greater king, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what this genealogy shows you. Do you know how the gospel in the New Testament breaks onto the scene? It breaks onto the scene with another list of names, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, your Savior. And then the Holy Spirit hit copy and paste from Ruth to Matthew in order to show you that the very last sentence of the book of Ruth is really not an end at all. It is a beginning, and a beginning that finds its end in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit wanted to show you that here, that the final, final word, the final, final word in Ruth is your savior, Jesus. The final word here in Ruth frees you to help you hope again, to help you live again, to help you live in life running free from sin, from free from struggle, free from everything that holds you back. All of the things that you hide yourself in, it frees you from it because you see that every page of your life, every paragraph of your life, all the way down to the last sentence, is written by the great narrator, your God. And while you might not understand it, you might not understand in this moment where your story is going, you might not understand on given, giving days why this plot twist is happening in your life, you know the final word of your story. You know it's Jesus. You know that the last sentence in your life ends with Jesus' exclamation point. So why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Stop hiding in fear, stop hiding in shame, stop hiding in worry, stop hiding in busyness, stop hiding in lowliness, because if you have God and you do, God is here. God who is hidden before our eyes is in your life and mine. Then you have everything you need. If God is here and he is, then you have it all and you have it all in him. I'm not saying that there are gonna be days where the loneliness and the confusingness of life doesn't overtake you. I'm not saying that there is going not gonna be days where there isn't a struggle, where there isn't pain, but it's here in these moments where you know God reveals himself to you. Stop hiding and stop seeking. You know where he is found. Your God has revealed himself to you in his word. He has revealed himself in you promises, promises that he is always there, truths that he will not leave you. He's revealed himself to you in an incarnation of a baby boy born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, born in the most improbable circumstances ever. He's here. Cling to that. Cling to the truth that you are baptized. Cling to the fact that he gives you himself here in the Lord's Supper, his body and blood. Cling to him, hide yourself in him. Hold him tight, like Grandma Naomi held on to Obed. Hold on to Christ, grab on to his promise, and hide yourself in him because there you are not lost. You're found. You are redeemed. And now you know. And now you know the rest of your story. You know the rest of your story down to the very last page, down to the very last sentence, down to the very last words, you know. You know how all of this will turn out. Every wrong will be righted. Every sin will be forgiven. Every bit of shame will be taken away. Every emptiness filled, every bitterness forgiven. It will all be made right. Every bit of death in your life will be given life. It will be renewed, it will be recovered, it will be restored because you have been redeemed in Jesus.